Chapter Twelve of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Twelve. We were up at dawn and jogging eastward again, as it seemed to me we had been doing for days and days. We were all in better spirits. Our moodiness had vanished. We were getting acclimated to the desert, I suppose and for the first time since we started there were jests and chaffing it did me good to hear ma creel laugh again it did us all good for her laugh was infectious jimmy had seen nothing more of his ghost so he said when i took occasion to inquire and i concluded that mustafa's police regulations whatever they were had had their effect jimmy seemed entirely recovered from his nervousness he had slept well he said and he was quite ready to laugh at his fears of the night before though night does make a difference he added I joined Davis a little later, and told him of Jimmy's recovery, and then I tried to take up again our talk of the night before, but he refused to be drawn out, and then Mademoiselle Roland joined us, in the gayest of spirits, and rode along between us, asking Davis all sorts of questions about the desert and the oasis we were bound for. It wasn't a real oasis, it seemed. A real oasis is fed underground, in some mysterious way, from the waters of the Nile. This one was at the bottom of a broad basin, into which was drained all the rain which fell for miles and miles around. Underneath it, so Davis hazarded, there was a natural reservoir, holding enough water to carry it over the dry season, for there was a well in the center of the oasis which always had water in it. The whole place was only a few acres in extent, though there were evidences that it had once been much larger, maintained, perhaps, by artificial irrigation, but it was steadily shrinking before the ceaseless onslaughts of the desert, and would probably some day be wiped out altogether the ruins which he had been excavating had once stood in the midst of vegetation but now there was some three hundred yards of sand between them and the edge of the oasis it was a graphic instance of the struggle which had been going on in egypt ever since time began and which had kept it a mere ribbon of a land in the midst of a trackless waste i hoped from the way davis had loosened up under the charm of our companion that he would go ahead and tell us something of what we hoped to find in the ruins but perhaps my wish was too evident on my face for he suddenly shut up like a clam excused himself and urged his donkey forward to join mustafa at the head of the column he was so evidently anxious to get rid of us that the girl and i couldn't help laughing as we met each other's eyes i had never seen her looking so beautiful she had disdained a veil from the first and sun and air had given the faintest tinge of bronze to her skin her full lips had taken on a deeper crimson her whole face fairly glowed with some deep mysterious well-being she was vivid radiant and i told her so it's just happiness she explained for some reason i am very very happy it is as though some great desire was about to be realized what desire i asked i do not know i only know that within me there is a strange peace at least you know what your great desire is i protested i have never had a great desire unless it was to be an actress a really good one well i began but she shook her head oh no it is not that i am certain it has nothing to do with that most probably it is nothing at all nothing but the wonder of all this she looked out eastward across the sand to where faint against the horizon the serrated peaks of a range of rugged hills could just be discerned Professor Davis says that the Red Sea lies beyond those hills, she added, but you will notice that we are turning more to the south. Has Davis been talking to you? I asked, in some surprise. Oh, I did most of the talking, but when he gets started he is most interesting. 
has he told you i stopped remembering my promise that he hopes to make a great find yes it seems there's a king's tomb somewhere among those ruins he's only guessing i said but if he guesses right it will be a tremendous thing for him if he finds the tomb she added perhaps we shall see the ghost of that old king their ghosts are supposed to live in their tombs you know i laughed as i glanced at her for i supposed that she was jesting but i was astonished to see that her face was very serious you're not in earnest i protested certainly i am in earnest do you really believe in ghosts i have always believed in ghosts have you ever seen one no not yet then you ought to talk to jimmy allen i began and stopped suddenly remembering that the women were not to be alarmed i have to confess that mademoiselle roland did not seem in the least alarmed has he seen a ghost she inquired tranquilly he thought he saw one night before last i stopped again for the expression on her face had suddenly changed the glow had left it it was almost sallow and there was something like fear in the eyes that looked at me go on she commanded tell me i shouldn't have said anything about it it wasn't a ghost of course one of the natives was wandering about the place and jimmy saw him that was all she breathed a quick sigh of relief i thought you were going to tell me something exciting she said but most ghost stories turn out like that all of them i said positively and we dropped the subject then jimmy allen rode up and i had another shock i have already told of the impression she gave me of holding jimmy at a distance and i had had the feeling that he was beating vainly against a wall of ice but the wall had vanished the eyes she turned upon him were much more than friendly she had never greeted me with such a smile what had been going on i wondered had they reached an understanding and then i saw that it was as much a surprise to jimmy as to me for he turned pale and then red and clutched his saddle as though he feared to fall and suddenly i felt like an intruder and reined my donkey in and fell back with the others but at least i could look at them at the way their donkeys drew together at the turn of their heads the inclination of their bodies jimmy seems to be getting on said a low voice at my elbow and i turned to find that molly had ridden up beside me yes i agreed and i don't understand it what don't you understand she demanded sharply she has always seemed to dislike him and here quite suddenly she makes eyes at him said molly there is nothing surprising in that jimmy is a very handsome fellow too handsome to live with i amended i prefer the rugged type of countenance like your own she mocked well yes i said why shouldn't i admit it most people would call it just ugly she remarked looking at it impersonally i hadn't deserved that but i managed to bear up it was far better to be knocked about than to be ignored i drew a little nearer at least it has a chin i said which is more than can be said of some what do you mean by that she demanded i was thinking of certain long-nosed closed-eyed narrow-headed idiots in uniform i explained and i was thinking of the miles and miles i've seen you walk beside them and the hours and hours you've leaned over the rail with them how could you do it molly you were pretty fully occupied yourself snapped molly with a show of temper which surprised me i didn't know you had time to look at me which reminded me to look again at mademoiselle roland and i saw with astonishment that she and jimmy were riding quite a distance apart and both were sitting very stiff and just then mademoiselle roland reined in her donkey turned him sharply and passed us with a frigid little smile while jimmy rode on along his shoulders drooping dejectedly molly leaned over to me her eyes snapping she's a cat she hissed and you defend her you have the nerve to defend her and without waiting for me to answer though indeed i was quite incapable of answering she wheeled her donkey and joined ma creel who had entrusted the guidance of her donkey to a boy who was jogging placidly along under a white umbrella 
the only real philosopher in the lot of us. I rode on, divided between disgust and bewilderment. I hadn't defended Mademoiselle Roland. I'd never suspected that she needed defending. Even yet, I couldn't see that she did. But in any event, she was thoroughly competent to take care of herself. The only thing I was sure of was that Molly had dug up the hatchet again. I found myself looking at Jimmy's dejected figure with a sort of fellow-feeling, and I joined him presently, thinking that perhaps we might console each other. But there was no hint of welcome in the look he turned upon me, and he didn't even take the trouble to listen to my remarks. But that evening he was a little more communicative, to the extent at least of repeating certain well-worn aphorisms. We had somehow gravitated together for a smoke after dinner. Davis says we'll get there tonight, I said. Get where? he asked, waking out of a sort of dream. Where we're going, of course, I snapped, my own nerves being considerably frazzled. I beg your pardon, Billy, he said. I wasn't listening. It's an oasis, isn't it? You don't need to make conversation for my sake, I said. But I really want to know, he persisted. Isn't it an oasis? Davis says it isn't a true oasis, and I repeated what he had told us. It does rain sometimes out here, so Davis says, I added, sort of laps over from the Red Sea. One would never think it, said Jimmy, looking absently out over the sand. And then he startled me by adding, women are hell. Well, I said cautiously, my experience hasn't been great, but so far as it goes, they are. First they blow hot, then they blow cold. My experience has been principally on the cold side, I said. Yours, so far as I observed, has been the other way. They make me sick, he said. I thought I knew them. And now when you find you don't, you're sicker still, I said. What do you mean by that, he demanded, and glared at me. Oh, what's the use of trying to bluff me, I asked. I can see what ails you. Anybody could. My God, he groaned. Is it as plain as that? Oh, come, I said. We're not making a film. Besides, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody knows I'm in love with Molly Adams. She won't look at me. And then, to my amazement, Jimmy suddenly forgot his troubles, turned over on his back, and laughed and laughed. I'm glad it amuses you, I snorted, and that seemed to set him off again. Just then Mustafa gave the signal to start. I tried to find out later on what it really was that set him off like that, but he just rode along without looking at me. For blowing hot then cold, a woman is nowhere with an Irishman. I found out eventually that nobody wanted to talk to me. I endeavored to have an explanation with Molly, but she treated me like a leper. Creel, his brows furrowed in thought, waved me impatiently away. Davis was so excited by the prospect of beginning work on the morrow that he didn't even pretend to listen. Digby and Ma Creel, riding side by side, were reminiscing again. And finally, I was astounded to see Molly rein in beside Mademoiselle Roland and engage in an apparently intimate and engrossing conversation. So I fell gradually to the rear and let my donkey jog along any way he pleased and reflected upon the inconsistencies of human nature. Now I was not subject to such ups and downs. You would find me tomorrow just where I was today. I didn't like people one day and hate them the next. I didn't call people cats and then take them to my bosom the next moment. I didn't... Suddenly an excited clatter broke out among the natives, and I looked up to see a bunch of ghostly palms faintly outlined against the sky. We had reached the oasis. End of chapter 12